Greetings, film freaks. We are the Podcorn Kernels. Join us as we discuss the hard and often indigestible truths that are at the center of the fluffy and delicious world of cinema. What's popping, people? Welcome to the Podcorn Kernels podcast. My name is Adam, and joining me in your ear holes is Harry. Say hello, Harry. Why is Will Smith so upset? Because there's a lad in his wife. Copyright joke by Harry of the Popcorn Colonels. On today's episode, we will be talking about Leon, the director's cut. This is a 1994 film directed by Luke Besson and stars Gene Reno, Gary Oldman and Natalie Portman. IMDb describes the synopsis as follows. 12-year-old Matilda is reluctantly taken in by Leon, a professional assassin, after her family is murdered. An unusual relationship forms as she becomes his protégé and learns the assassin's trade. Here is an original song to support the synopsis. No women, no kids, lots of milk and a gun. I will never miss my plan. It's the sun, lactose loving Leon, Leon loving young one, Leon loving young one, lactose loving Leon, contracted to kill every damn day, burden of skill. Now do what I say. Child, I am a Bad guys plenty. Lactose loving Leon, Leon loving young one, Leon loving young one. Lactose loving Leon. This episode was requested by Johnny at Johnny Kryptonite on Instagram. Thanks for listening, Johnny. If you're a listener that would like us to cover a film you love, loathe or love to loathe, please do get in touch. Let's start with some facts about the film. Natalie Portman beat 2,000 other actresses for the role of Matilda. Jesus! It's a bit too much, I'd say. I didn't know that. How much time was spent auditioning 2,000 people? Well, let's just say each audition was only a minute long. That's 2,000 minutes. I don't know how long that is in terms of hours, but it's a long time. Me neither. For a role that, I mean, credit where credit's due, I think Portman's very good in this as a young actor. Sometimes we've spoken about it before, young actors can be really jarring. I think she does well. Excellent. But to be that comprehensive in finding the right actor for a... for a, It is a pivotal role. She's She's one of two lead actors within the film isn't she so yeah. it had to be good but 2,000 actors there was the director involved you think Luke Besson or was it just the casting agent I'd say it's probably a, a joint effort by by the team involved but I know that um, Liv Tyler was was up for the role as well Arwen yep but she was deemed too old at 15 mm. maybe they mean maybe she had a bit too much going on yeah if you get what I mean a bit too much evolved yeah shall we say for the character of Matilda yeah 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 so I just feel like 2,000 
potential actors for any role is a hell of a lot. That's an insane amount. Yeah. I couldn't imagine like the Harry Potter casting having 2,000 potential Potters. Oh, Jesus. By the time you'd finished casting or taking them auditions, I'd be like, I can't be a part of this film now. You've taken every inch of excitement that was in me after watching 2,000 kids sneeze, snot and cry. Oh, exactly that. And it, you lessen the brag. Like if you say, if you was a young actor and you was like, oh, I auditioned for the role of Matilda in this really iconic film, Leon, people be like, that's amazing. Like, oh, you might, how far did you get? Oh, I got quite far. Oh God, oh, you're unlucky you didn't get it. How many people were in the casting process? Oh, 2,000. It lessens is, it, doesn't it? Well, it's amazing. I've never heard of that in any other film. No, me neither. That's why I thought it'd be a good fact. According to Gene Reno, he decided to play Leon as if he were a little mentally slow and emotionally repressed. Mm-hmm. He felt that this would make audiences relax and realise that he wasn't someone who would take advantage of a vulnerable young girl. Reno claims that for Leon, the possibility of a physical relationship with Matilda is not even conceivable. And as such, during the scenes when such a relationship is discussed, Reno very much allowed Portman to be emotionally in control of the scenes. Yeah, I mean, that comes under one of my dislikes. Just that obviously the film quite often almost steps over into the inappropriate. Mm. And for him to never sort of challenge her sort of promiscuous sort of coming ons to him. Yeah. You sort of think there's that there's that wiggle room for potential that he might actually be into her. So to play it as what would you say? Innocent. Mentally disabled? Yeah. Uh, he the term he used was uh, mentally slow. Yeah. So I, I think that's a smart move because if you even had a, a sniff of want from Leon as a character mm. the whole film would change it'd be like oh dear mm. it's a bit um, sticky to say the least I heard as well that in the original script there was a scene that they took out where he walked in while she was getting out of the shower mm. and I was thought god can you imagine if it had that in there as well you'd really have to start to question that sort of French le look cinema because it would be yeah. kind of like kind of, you know I get it she's, she's thinking that she needs to use sex or the power of to, yes. get, to get protected and to get what she wants from life from this older guy who's a hitman but because he's not like you are sick get away from me yeah. you're a little girl I'm a grown man because it's never said it's so it's left ambiguous isn't it yeah but I think he does enough as acting as Leon to suggest that it's not even entered his hemisphere he's not even he's just shocked by it he's not like not enough to vocalize it but he doesn't he might not even necessarily see that it's it's happening and if you look at matilda's sort of role models he's got a mum who may or may not be a prostitute got a sister who's very almost sexualized within the film and is very obsessed with her body and her figure and stuff so from a young age matilda's going to see that that is almost a currency that can be used like She's seen that in her everyday home life, I guess. Well, I can affirm that the mum most certainly is a prostitute because there was no work from home flexible working hour scheme in the 90s, mm. especially when you didn't own a laptop. And the fact that he says, why don't you work at home today, the husband? Yeah. And then within two minutes, they're making milk. Yeah. She's suited for the streets, that, that get up. I mm-hmm. think especially in a film from the 90s where everyone is like a cartoon characterization of whatever it is they're trying to depict. Like she does look like a video game prostitute. Mm-hmm. So I think it's safe to assume, yeah, that she's a pro. One handy. Yeah. According to Luke Besson, the role of Leon was always intended for Gene Reno and no one else. However, according to the fact track on the deluxe edition DVD, both Mel Gibson and Keanu Reeves were extremely interested in the role. Oh, God. It couldn't be anyone else, could it? Of course not. No. That sort of um, foreign flourish, the that sort of simplistic tone, 
everything that Gene Reno does in this. Well, the tale is of an immigrant coming from Italy. Yeah. So it couldn't have been them. It would have lessened it. Yeah. And no one, no one could have wore that hat and them glasses and that coat and looked cooler. Yeah. Gibbo wouldn't have looked good in that. No. Keanu, he would have wore it the wrong way. Yeah. He'd put glasses on his head and a hat over his eyes. I I think he probably would, yeah. They got the casting right there and the casting for Natalie Portman, one in 2000, was spot on as well, I'd say. What did you like about Leon the director's cut? Okay, Douglas Silver as the young Lil Dyson City of God, DiCaprio as Toby in This Boy's Life, Alexei Kravchenko as Florian in Come and See, Abigail Breslin as Olive Hoover in Little Miss Sunshine, and Natalie Portman in Matilda in Leon. I love it. When a child actor smashes the role... I love it because it's so rare, so rare that I don't want to end their characters' lives with a metaphorical hand grenade that I can throw through realms into a television and take their face off. Yes. So yeah, 11-year-old Natalie Portman gives engrossing, believable performance, excellent. Yeah. Even rarer from the list that I read, uh, Portman DiCaprio have obviously gone on to be some of the biggest names in cinema today, working today. Yeah, right at the peak of their powers, right? Yeah. And straight off the bat, another tailgate that we love to do here on the podcast. I completely agree with you. Natalie Portman's in my list of most loved things about Leon. We sniff each other's kitty rings. We do and enjoy it. I will never quite get over how established a performance Miss Portman was able to put in at just 11 years of age. It's a great introduction into what she could achieve as an actor. And it's those scenes, man, where she portrays like those hefty emotions that really put her on the map for me. Oh, so amazing. the one that always springs to mind and I'm always sort of taken aback when I see the film is when she goes to buy Leon some milk, mm. enter crazy Gary Oldman and they go and on a mad murder spree of her family. Mm. And she walks up the stairs past the room where the flat where it's all happening to go and knock on Leon's door to try and find some an escape route. And that acting where she's like desperately pleading him to but open can't the door. shout. Yeah. Oh, I just there's fully grown actors now that couldn't do that. And the fact that mm. Portman was doing that at eleven is is incredible. Phenomenal. Yeah. I always find that scene very nerve wracking because the fear is so real. Yeah. It's like, you know, crimes just happen. You within seconds you could lose your life. Yeah. It builds tension through him not understanding the ramifications if he opens the door. Yeah. And he's trying to figure it out in his head because mm. he's slow. He's not, yeah. you know, he's not thinking long game. He's just always like, I don't know. This is not in my routine. In terms of the character to have that fortitude to know that I know my family, everything I know, my world has been mowed down there Mm. and i have to walk past that and show no signs that i'm affected otherwise i'm next Mm -hmm. if that was me with the old ibs my bum would be clapping walk poo there they'd be like oh that sulfur smell coming from that awkward man child walking past (laughs) he's got something to do with this and it'd be game over for me follow the smells yep follow the smells it's only smells baby what else did you like about the film i will always slowly nod at jean reno in anything he does yeah. He, he is a foreign cuddle in an untamed land. Oh, hello. Um, he's that fun French uncle that went missing one summer and never came back. Mm. But most importantly, and you were talking about it earlier in the facts, he gave a performance where he had to balance his character's lethality against what appears to be an intellectual disability. Mm. That is not easy. No, no. That's one hell of a juggle, right? And he managed to do it without being disrespectful. Like, obviously, a lot of roles where able-bodied people playing disabled people, it can be a bit... Case in point. Sissy Sissy Spacer, the straight story. It's an embarrassing characterisation of someone with learning difficulties. Yeah, and to top it off, he plays one of the most iconic characters in cinema history. All it takes is a glimpse of that hat, coat or glasses and everyone the world over will utter the name Leon. Yeah. And it's true. 
It's a, it's a poster, but it's also you it's can iconic. be you, you can be French, African, you yeah. can be Australian, you can be anywhere, and just like ah, oh, Leon. Yeah, there he is. Yeah, which is the, this? That's the biggest kudos you have to you can give Leon. Yeah, it, it, it was an image was sold and it stuck. Iconic, iconic. That's lasted what nearly thirty years. Yeah, yeah. And a, again, I love to do it on this podcast. I'll tailgate on that. And for me, the best thing about the film is lactose loving Leon. <laughs> I love that as a character. Leon is a simple pure boy who also happens to be an amazing assassin. Like you said, Gene Reno absolutely nails his performance. And whilst parts of the films have aged badly, his Turner's hat wearing, plant parenting, simple minded Merc remains iconic. Plant parenting. Yeah, and it, for me, you, there's lots in this film. Straight out the gate, I will say that that's, that has not aged at all well. There's mm-hmm. lots that I'm watching now and go, I do not remember this mm. when I watched this when I was younger and more innocent. But watching it now with my damn adult eyes, I'm like, oh God, how did I miss that? Yeah. But he's timeless. He's performance. Leon, the yeah. man himself is, yeah, iconic mm. and timeless. Yeah. It does happen with films. It really does. And it's, it's, it's sad a little. We covered it when we spoke about the likes of, say, Cool Runnings. Mm. Like, you loved it at the time for the reasons... At the time. Yes, exactly. That. And the things that do sort of survive how how cruel time can be to cinema and stuff, like you can adore a film, adore a film. I used to champion Highlander. I used to champion that dog. I watch it now, I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. Apart from the soundtrack and a few wicked one-liners from Sean Connery, it's a, it's a poor film. It's, it's a poor film. It's aged like warm milk. Mm. But Leon, not as, not to that degree. Yeah. Not to that degree. But yeah, there's, there's, uh, we're covering my dislikes. But Yes, I think same as well. But it's it's not a film's fault that the audience member has grown and evolved and aged. Like when it came out, I'm sure it was amazing. I'm sure people looked past the cutout baddies, the, the ridiculous mm. costumes, some of the really questionable dialogue, all that stuff was probably easy to look past because film, it was of the time. We had to keep it cheap. Your money was going to your stars wasn't it exactly that yeah now everything's like we're doing a podcast critiquing a film like that wasn't necessarily a thing back then so now like people weren't looking so deeply for problems with a a product whereas now Mm. everyone's got a platform to to criticize everything so it's not the film's fault even hawk said in in my days you used to just watch a film for what it meant to you he said there wasn't all of this dissecting and stuff that is lovely we should quit no, I love dissecting films. Yeah. It's my favourite thing to do. Any more likes for me? Gary Oldman, obviously. Yeah. Excellent. Excellent bad guy. Yeah. Still actually holds up today. If the film was like a, a bit more scrubbed up, a little less hokey in the supporting cast and henchmen, etc., it would really stand out. Like yeah. he plays a wicked madman. Is this before or after Drexel? It's after, isn't it? Yeah. So this was this came out in what, 94? Mm. Big character actor, isn't he? Like yeah. when you think of the characters that he pulls out the bag across them two films Drexel and this guy yeah. like people everyone wanted him I think in the uh, 90s and 90s Gary Oldman's my favourite Gary yeah. Oldman yeah. he's just allowed to be an absolute menace he's a monster isn't he yeah I just thought he was great in this yeah. like his bad guy it's almost a comic book Leon like you could you could easily see this in comic form his character Stansfield is so over the top like anyone else you'd be watching this and go you need to tone it down by at least 95% like, he's getting high this- on his own supply though isn't he yeah but the way he does the little, the, the camera looks at his characters at the back of the head and he tilts his head back and cracks open a tablet. What are those tablets, by the way, that makes you do that? I have no idea. But that's so menacing, that that image and the way that he sort of, he mood swings and the way he's obsessed with Beethoven, walks in with a gun and starts shooting at shit. Like well, He, he really caused good. his own downfall. Yeah. 
So he he just did that to himself. Yeah, he didn't have to be that mental. No. If, and what New York? When is this New York City set? I I don't think it knows. The, the, it is that violent, ridiculous. No police. Leon. There's a montage of Leon putting chewing gum on a the peephole of a door. Yeah. Matilda talking. They do about twenty doors in this montage. Yeah. Where's the cop investigating the 20 bullet holes in 20 different eyeballs in 20 different de- apartments? I mean, you could go lesser than that. Where's the police and the neighbour uproar when um, Natalie Portman char- character yeah. goes to the balcony and just fires rounds into the street randomly? She could have killed yeah. a kid the age of her brother. With yeah, that. It just but no, reckless abandon. No one gives a shit. You mentioned that point about the sort of bubblegum peephole murder mm. montage. Do you know that's not in the theatrical version? No. Yeah, so I watched the um, the director's cut for this podcast. Mm. And out of curiosity, because I'm a very sad, sad man, I watched the the normal theatrical release. That whole section's not in the film. Oh. And the editing, like, because that's not in the film, you don't see Stansfield learning that all he's due to getting mowed down. You just see him, like, suddenly going mad and going to visit Leon's boss. How silly. And it's just, yeah, this mad chunk of a film. So the difference between the theatrical version and the director's cut is... 22 minutes laziness yeah <laughs> and it, a large part of those 22 minutes i'm not going to lie is some some seriously gray tricky areas between matilda and leon mm. you don't see that as much in the theatrical version and that's probably why that's the version they got at the cinema well she says to the concierge oh he's not my dad he's my lover yeah. and the concierge you know what he does he just evicts him yeah doesn't go um police well he's probably realized what we've realized and there's not much of a police presence so he didn't fucking bother mm. Is that you done with your likes? Yeah, man. I think uh, the on- the only thing my my final like about it is just what Leon stands for as a like nineties action flick. The music, the dialogue, the horde of heavies, and the whole feel of Leon takes me back to a time where these sorts of action films were the absolute peak of cinema mm-hmm. for me as a young person. I still greatly enjoy revisiting this one, and whilst many films from the past are ruined by my adult eyes and mind, this one still has just about enough about it for me to enjoy yeah yeah like like we said earlier certain films that were held in such high regard in the 90s i watch now and i'm like why what have i done why mm-hmm. have i done this i didn't need to do this but leon just about keeps its head above water for me well two things happened in it that i forgot about because it's been so long i think the last time i watched this i must have been 16 it's a good old long old time ago see i watched it probably about four or five years ago oh no 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 mine much longer so i forgot little bits in it like when portman trails gary oldman into the federal building and she goes in the toilet i totally forgot he was behind the door yeah and i thought oh and the second one really cracked me up is when his two henchmen are in the office and they're going through the bag of her guns and one finds pizza and he goes, mm, lunch. It's that one willy Jamaican white guy. Yeah, yeah. And he goes, mm, lunch. And the guy goes, careful, it might be poisoned. And he said, no, man, there's no anchovies on this. Yeah. That cracked me up. Yeah. So I forgot little bits in it yeah. that I liked. Yeah. Yeah. I'd, I would say it's probably, I don't know if it'd be a blessing or a curse to see this for the first time in 15 years. Was it a welcome surprise or was you a bit like, oh, no, I wish I'd kept it in that sort of nostalgia shelf? Left untouched. The film's front heavy, so you get given a a lot at the start. And the problem with that is that a lot of the supporting cast and the the costume design and the character's persona is so off-putting that it made me sort of sceptical for the rest of the movie. Mm. Is that a good place to start your dislikes? Yeah, I'll do it, yeah. Okay, so um, style over substance, but there's a good reason for it. So uh, have you heard of Cinema du Luc or Le Luc? 
No, I haven't, but I'd like to. Okay, so the term was coined by critic Raphael Bassan and essentially Luc Besson, Jean-Jacques Binet, and Leos Carax. Oh, oh, that guy. Mate, three directors who shared the style of Le Luc, mm. new wave cinema, 1980s, 1990s. Okay. So all three directors have been critically described as favouring style over substance and spectacle over narrative. I can see that. Now, having seen two Leos Carax films yeah. and having seen three... Luke Besson films, yeah. Big Blue, mm. Nikita, mm. and Leon, to which Eric Serra did the soundtrack for all three, and Leon and uh, Jean Reno was in all three. So it's kind of cool little history there. But having seen them all, I couldn't agree more with that because mm. it is it is all style over substance. Yeah, you know the storyline in Leon. If you actually sit and watch it, it's in action by Gary Oldman. It's in action by everyone. Yeah. There's nothing actually happening, and then Leon decides he'll start popping off a few of Gary Oldman's henchmen at the bequest of Natalie Portman's character, Matilda. But all of a sudden, he's decided to no longer be elusive. Yeah. So in the first kill that you see him do at the start of the film, he's elusive, he's in the shadows. No, he leaves no one to know what he looks like. A master assassin. Starts killing Gary Oldman's men. He does it in the open. Let's the witnesses start to, oh, he he looked like this, he dressed like this and stuff. he, He lets the the physics and the logic of his storyline dip because he just wants to see the next shot. He just, yeah. it's all style over substance. And that reason leads me into my second, like I've already covered this, but the dislike hen- or dislike, sorry, the henchman at the start, mm. you put a character as captivating as Stansfield in the role of the antagonist played excellently by Gary Oldman, as we've discussed, but then surround him with what appears to be a fun box of toy wrestling characters from the eighties <laughs> yeah, who it. cannot act for shit. Yeah. And it's weird. It's like, I don't know if it's this the look but it's that French sort of cinema where it's okay to downgrade your product to laugh at the the silly man in the leather vest and the big hat going, ooh, yeah. and a, a white Jamaican guy like, oh, we should yeah. surround him with the most eccentric of policemen, the most craziest looking yeah. wrestling team you've ever seen. And that that is a big problem for me. Mm. Like you say, it is style over substance. Like, don't get me wrong, I don't want a detailed um, depiction of why background baddie dave is the way he is mm-hmm. but when they've got a purple waistcoat and like sunglasses indoors i'm now looking at him going well what's his fucking issue what's his problem why is he doing that mm. and they are distracting very distracting and i'd say that is top of my list of things i didn't like is but, the background baddies yeah they lessen the they lessen the product but yeah as much as i love this nostalgic trip back to the 90s the supporting cast of computer game baddies do just don't age well at all <laughs> Indoor sunglasses, purple waistcoats, white man rasters, mullets, perms, ponytails are just a few of the distracting tropes that the posse of pesky henchmen possessed. They're questionable at best and it always kills me how these characters with no lines or purpose other than getting mowed down, they always look so fabulously over the top. In Ridiculous. It's why do they, you can just have a normal looking dude be a bad guy. That's the thing, isn't it? That's the style over substance. It's exactly Just that, have a couple of normal plain clothes detectives. Yeah running a little drug ring and they're scary because they're not obvious. Yeah. Because they might be the guy that helps you if you've had a car accident, but they also might be the guy that puts two in the back of your head. She fell funny. Yeah. They shouldn't look like Sega Master System platform oh, game baddies. They just it. look so... They're like three times the size of everyone else in outlandish clothing to, to just hold our hands to say, oh, that person that doesn't look like a real person's a baddie. Tuesday night wrestling team. Yeah. <laughs> Boom. It's exactly that, isn't it? Yeah. Got any more dislikes for me? Yeah, it's, it's similar. It's still kind of related to my first one, but huge oversight in set layout and defying of physics. So when Matilda returns to the scene of the crime, the place where her family's murdered, 
she has to duck and squeeze. She's a slight small girl, has to duck yeah. and squeeze under some police tape that covers the only exit and entrance to the apartment. And then th- she's in there and she hears footsteps and three burly men have entered the apartment. So Gary Oldman, obviously, is the smaller of the three. The other two, they look like they couldn't bend up and pick up a pen if they dropped it. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, you think, oh, okay, well, they've, they've gone through the tape. Yeah. And then it cuts to the exit scene. Gary Oldman's pissed off. And then Matilda's still stuck in the apartment and he goes through the tape, bursts through it. Yeah. And the tape is crosshatched across the door. No man could have duck squeezed himself in without disturbing yeah. it. And there's, and three burly men have apparently gone into this apartment, yeah. had a little tiff and yeah. Gary Oldman just burst through the tape. How the fuck did they get in the apartment? Yeah. You uh, brought this to my attention yesterday. I've I sent you video. Film. Yeah. I've seen the film so many times. Not once have I picked that up. That's and not good enough. It's like you're saying, style over substance. They wanted that scene of Gary Oldman's character, mm. Stansfield, storming out of the apartment. More with than the logic. Tape, more th- with the tape all over him and him getting frustrated mm. and getting the tape off. They wanted that. Le look. Yeah, exactly that. Because so case in point. Gary Oldman covering crime scene police tape is yeah. Le look. Yeah. But at the same time, logical. <laughs> how did he get in? Yeah. How did he get in there? Unless he tore it down, got in to put it back up. And he's like, oh, I want Le Look for my exit. Le Look. Yeah, that's ridiculous, man. Yeah, I'm right there with you. That's just French cinema, though, isn't it? Yeah. They, they, they like to just remove logic from some bits. It's very like, oh, later, do it later. Yeah. It's kind of like that. Yeah. And but they just don't get around to it. They're more concerned by Le Look than Le Substance, so it don't matter, does it? Le Look. Okay, no, probably, probably shouldn't slander nation. Go on. <laughs> <laughs> so, any more dislikes for me? Just what I said earlier, in the original script, uh, Leon accidentally walks in on Matilda while she's in the shower. Now, pair that with the happenings in the film, and it's almost always crossing the border of appropriateness. Yeah, sticky, in it. But and like you, I did read John Reno cl- played himself emotionally repressed to make sh- make sure the audience knew he had no sexual desire for Matilda. That's a smart move. It didn't do it for me. Him being um, of lower IQ made me think he's more likely to do a. <laughs> oh, where do you want to go from here, man? <laughs> I know. Uh, I finished my dislikes. You didn't need to finish a point or anything? Oh, I did, uh, to make sure the audience knew he had no sexual desire for Matilda. Okay. I'd said that, yeah. Yeah. Is that you done for your dislikes? All done, done and dusted. Yeah. I think, yeah, I pretty much agree with everything you say. And the only thing I, I'll add is, you've mentioned it already, but that supporting cast just was so jarring and distracting. Oh, Matilda's parents, the prostitute, her sister, the brutes, <laughs> the, the, the policeman, basically everyone bar Reno, Portman and Oldman were questionable in this one. Mm. Even good old Gary was wildly over the top, but I do enjoy his turn as psychotic Stansfield. Mm-hmm. Now, you could argue that in a film like this, the supporting cast, the the bit part players, the ones that are just getting mowed down, aren't important but like we said when they're dressed so ridiculous and they look so stand out it's hard to ignore them and it does lessen the whole film for me because it's just like yeah oh i know you're all gonna die but why is this six foot five man got a extraordinary mullet with a pink a purple waistcoat yeah and like what are you doing like and the way they sort of snarl and walk around like oh we're so menacing it's like you can be bad and it doesn't have to be blatant like, come on now. Well, he's got a henchman that's cold sweat fear outside the door going, who's <laughs> yeah. a professional policeman. It's not his first day on the job. Professional bad guy. Yeah. So he's done and seen some shit. Yeah. 
see him sweating like a jacket potato outside is just, yeah, I agree. It's like, what are you doing, man? Why are you in this job? Well, think back to training day and look at Denzel Washington's crew of bad boys. Mm. You know, yeah, a little, little over the top, but much more believable gotcha. as a bunch of bent cops. Yeah. God, even the negotiator. Yeah. Uh, Samuel. Yeah. The bad coppers in that. You know, it doesn't have to be that fucking croque monsieur. Yeah. Cheesy ham sandwich. Yeah. You don't need it. Yeah. It's it's distracting at best, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I, I will say, because it's a film that's that I love from the past, it's a lot easier to accept it and look past it than if you had those sort of bad guys in a film now. Mm. If that was in a film now, you'd be like, come on, we've, we're past this. We've mm. evolved. Cinema's not this now. You can do better than that. Well, if they were in one now, it would equate to... The other guys, something like that, like mm. the like hokey, yeah, and, that, and I think it works in the other guys because they're almost laughing at it. Intentional, like how ridiculous, totally, yeah, yeah. it's so ridiculous, and it is, yeah, it is a distraction. And uh, last thing I will say that as a as a negative against Leon, something we've touched on on previous episodes, it's that nuisance nostalgia. And as I say, we, we've spoken about this before, and we'll speak about it again. But it always sucks when a film that you cherished when you were younger loses some of the magic when you view it as an older people's. <laughs> And don't get me wrong, I still had a great time watching Leon and it will always hold a special place in my heart, but it's just, it's simply not as good as I remembered it to be. No, it's not. But you could, you know, like you said, that's not always the fault of the film. No, it's not. It's mm. it's definitely not. And even five years ago, I, I, I got the film on Blu-ray, wanted to show my partner it. She hadn't seen it before. I was excited to watch it, watch it with her took great enjoyment from it now i watched it in like a critical standpoint and even from five years ago it's lessened so i imagine like another 10 years when i'm a lot more older watching it again it might get to a point in my lifetime where it's unwatchable so i probably will just leave it there now before i do it more damage it's because you know not so long ago you reviewed seven a film also film also from the 90s yeah. which does none of that no, it holds mm, its own. It holds its own. It's it's a very strong. It's just an extremely strong product. With it's just fierce and believable. Yeah, it's not an action film. No, it never ever will be. So you can't. I suppose you can't compare them. But how much better would Leon be if it was done in the same sort of guise as Seven? Oh God, imagine. Yeah. Oh Schnook. That it, it could be a really sort of heavy hitting like substance fueled yeah like michael man just a mad assassin that loves his milk and mowing down people with ease but we don't talk taking... enough oh sorry <laughs> <laughs> we don't talk enough we're doing a fucking podcast mate we talk too much sorry carry on uh, so i saw i just yeah I, I completely agree if they had a more meaner more serious leon mm. it would probably withstand the test of time better mm. i i would agree i've got some questions what is your favourite assassin film and why? Oh. Doesn't have to be one. You can throw a few names into the ring. I'm going to go with Collateral. That's on my list. Tom Cruise, 2004, Michael Mann. Boom. That's, it's, it's an incredible film. That's how you do a timeless assassin it's film. It's just, apart from why is Will Smith so unhappy, his wife, yeah. Jada Pinkett Smith, yeah. because there's a lad in her, yeah. apart from her in Collateral, but she does play a minor role, so it's not as grating. But it's, it's for me, it's just, and it's one of Tom Cruise's best film yeah but i have more than one uh collateral's there irishman's there kill bill ghost dog yeah and one of my favorites 
which is a dark comedy, Gross Point Blank, which was the George Armitage, 1997. Yeah. Uh, Ginger did Ghost Dog, and uh, Scorsese, obviously Irishman, Kill Bill, Tarantino. Yeah. There's, some, there's some mega yeah. hitman films. I think uh, my top top three, no particular order, like you said, Kill Bill, Collateral. And for me, it's almost a guilty pleasure, but Smoking Aces. I've not seen. You've not seen Smoking Aces? No. It's like a team that like a bounty goes out against this one guy that's holed up in like an executive suite in like a high-rise Las Vegas hotel and mm. like a group of assassins are fighting to get to his head. It's just a mad film of a great cast. It's worth a watch, man. It's, it's throwaway trash, but enjoyable throwaway trash. And I, I really enjoy it, yeah. But um, certainly for me in, in recent memory, Collateral and uh, Kill Bill... They take that assassin genre and just make it so, yeah. so much, so I methodical. Guess, yeah, unique, and you're there for it, and you're sort of willing the mm. assassin on. Aren't and you? they're different because Kill Bill is the the weird and wonderful, the exaggerated. Collateral's got this such a clinical, almost a doctor going around a city killing someone. It's yeah. just perfection. There's no emotion to it. Yeah, yeah, incredible cast: yeah. Javier Bardem, Mark Ruffalo, Jamie Fox, Tom Cruise. Mm. Don't mention that bitch. Mm. really good don't mention that bitch she's been mentioned a good two three times Dude, she, she uh, fucked will smith's son's mate yeah and then made will smith be interviewed by her get his wife's name out your damn mouth oh i like that um that hurt. 90s action films hold a special place in my heart most are terrific trash that I can watch time and time again. What are your top three 90s action flicks? I can't do it in three. Give me a bit more. Well, just give me just give me what you feel. Uh, Rush Hour. That's one of mine. Broken Arrow. The Rock. The Mummy. Mm. Point Break. True mm. Lies. There's a lot. Mission Impossible. Mm. The Matrix. Matrix. Total Recall. Matrix more sci-fi, I'd say. It's an action movie, mate. Mm. It, it defines action. Defines sci-fi. It's, it's set on Earth. It's action. Okay. You can have action okay. sci-fi. Okay. What, what would you say Total Recall's action sci-fi? Guess what? He's the king of action. Guess what? He's not the king of sci-fi. Guess what? What? I ain't seen it. Okay. So I have no recall. Recall. <gasps> oh, that's action. good. Uh, that's it. Yeah. Well, I've got three. Mm. Rush Hour. Mm. Demolition Man. Boom. Speed. Yeah. Speed. Yeah. Speed's a good one. And those ones you mentioned, little bit annoyed with myself that I didn't think of any. Speed was, so speed will suffer through time as again, another one, because I meant speed was adored in my house. Oh, mate. When I first watched speed, the same with Demolition Man, I was watching it and I was like, what this? It's Dennis Hopper, man. What this? Like, I didn't know film could be this. Mm. I just see animated family fun film. And then I see films like this. I'm like, oh my fucking God. Yeah. And Cinema that, can do anything. And then one day you're 35 and you realise you lauded a film that had Sandra Bullock and Keanu Reeves in it. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. And then you look at yourself and you go, would it have been better if I just stayed that person? Oh, man. <laughs> and ended it then. Oh. At the end. Moving swiftly on. If you were an assassin that wanted to remain anonymous, but also fancied leaving a cheeky clue to tease police, what would your calling card be and why? Uh, someone else has come. Ooh. Okay. <laughs> the same come every time or a different person's come on each? Murdering. I didn't think that much into it. It'd be a great way to say it's someone else. There's like, oh, we found some uh, shitload of DNA. It's always come at these murders, but it's always a different person's come. How are you getting that come, Harry? I know how I'm getting it. 
I only, I only kill men. You work And the cum spandex. starts from the first murder. I take the cum from one person, so you're, kill them, and then on, put it at the next crime, kill that person. So, I'm moving cum around. For sight. Spinning I've, plates, mate. Moving cum around. Spinning plates. Cum a cum a cum a cum a cum a chameleon. But how are you. So you're just before you're killing someone, you're holding them at gunpoint or knife point, whatever, getting them aroused, milking them to get the semen and then killing them. Or are you telling me that you're milking a dead man? What are you telling me? If I kill them, I've got a certain amount of time to go to work. Is that fact? And and it, it yeah, because if people die, they can freeze the semen, can't they? For, for wives that potentially might want to have a baby with their dead husband. I tell you what. I didn't know I was going to say it. Uh, okay. I wasn't prepared. I don't know why I said it. Uh, I'm glad you did because I've got the giggles now because I never <laughs> thought of that. I mean, it's dark, mate. It's fucking dark. And imagine turning up to the crime scene and being like, oh, <laughs> fuck, come again. <laughs> come again. He's come again. That's a great name for the film. He's yeah. come again, but come. just spell it normal because yeah. no one will go watch it. But he's come yeah. again. Do you want to know my answer? It's, it's far less uh, mm, comical as yours. Is it food? Yeah. Oh, kind of. Knew it would be food. So it'd just be a single stalk of wheat. Ah, oh, and they, they'd assume he's gluten-free. He's got a gluten intolerance and it's led him to or, psychosis. He loves wheat. Yeah, but that, that's ridiculous. If, if, if there's That's some, ridiculous. There is come at crime scenes. There's not strands of wheat. No, but that's more effective as a calling card than making someone milk to take to your next murder. Wait, is your uh, serial killer Theresa May? <laughs> oh, no, I suppose we're running through the field of wheat, I swear. Oh, I'd love to kill her. No, I wouldn't. That was just, just a mindless joke. Jesus. What would you rate Lee on the director's cut out of 10? Six. Oh, Okay. Uh, just just to affirm to anyone that feels hurt by that score, this film was a stone cold nine when I was younger. Yeah. But you just you end up watching so many films. Films do get better. You know, there's more, there's better technology. There's there's more astute writing and stuff, and it just gets stronger. So it's harder to. It's I can't I can't just for nostalgic's sake come in and say this is an eight or a nine. I can't. I'd be lying to you. I'd be lying to myself. I've let some nostalgia in. I'm not going to lie. Mm. I've I've allowed. I've allowed nostalgia to bump up my score a little bit. And I do still enjoy it. It's still a great film to watch if you it's a it's a good hangover film. It's a good film if it's shit outside you've got nothing to do. It's it's a good film just to throw on and just just watch and a good throwaway film. And for that reason I'd go a bit higher than you and I'd give it a 7. Mm-hmm. And it for me it was one of those films I rinsed when I was younger. Got it five years ago, as I said earlier. I enjoyed it a lot more this uh, that time round than the two watches this time round. But still, for me, Leon, that iconic character, that iconic performance, Natalie Portman, despite all the bad guys and despite all the things that great on it, it's still a very enjoyable ex- experience for me. So yeah. that's why I'd go a seven. That gives Leon, the director's cut, a total score of 13 out of 20. If you like your assassins to be pure, parental and precious about plants, or if you have ever wanted to see a mentally challenged murderer man that is mad about milk, then <laughs> Leon, the director's cut, could be a film for you. Consider watching this one if you enjoyed Columbiana, Kill Bill and True Grit. Should we play a game? Yeah. The game in question is what the plot, where the rules are simple and the results quite the opposite. Harry will conceive an original idea from his big and beautiful brain and give birth to a plot. It is then down to me to nurture this thought by providing a film title, genre, cast and anything else I can think of to raise this brainchild into a fully functioning film concept. Over to you, Harry. 
this might be my finest work so bear with me okay because okay. i want to i want to do it justice well then you bear with the two i will just don't wobble the table i'll try my best okay i'll try and go as slow as possible but um okay to supplement his education and living crisis a young student maurice atler i'll stop there thank you maurice atler uh where's he from doesn't matter doesn't matter maurice atler yes good name he has taken an orderly job at a local psychiatric hospital for the insane, and he begins to take a keen interest in a patient, Elizabeth Lazary. Oh, Elizabeth Lazary. Oh, shit. Sorry, I Elizabeth got... Lazary. Right. Yeah, good one. And she uh, and he sort of strikes a bond with Elizabeth Lazary, or just in- interest is piqued. You shut your mouth. Oh, I'm... All right. Right, I'll go back now. Now you've got your names down. So, uh, I actually don't have her name. Oh, what were you writing? No, Elizabeth Lazary. I was self-sucking because I got a good Elizabeth. Elizabeth. Lazary. <laughs> Fucking hell. I haven't had lunch. <laughs> All right, go on, carry on. <laughs> Who for 20 years has been shouting the name of a street or place paired with a date in time. She cannot say anything else. All she does is say, and I'll quote a few now. Dickinson Drive, 12, 14, 12. Pine Island Road, 02, 14, 18. West Campus Drive, 04, 16, 07. The orderly feels like he recognises some of them dates and places. And when he researches it a little further, he discovers that they all equate to a school shooting that has happened. But what throws him off is she starts saying a new date and place, just a road and just a date. Second Street, 09, 03. Two free. Oh, so out of the blue, she starts saying something that's in the future. It's a new date. Oh nine, oh three, two free. What's the issue with that street name, Adam? What is the issue with it? I don't know. It is the most popular street name in America. Oh. Okay. So some. So we're led to believe some shit's going to go down. There's a place on Second Street. There's a school, uh, a, a, an education institution on Second Street, and on the date oh nine, oh three, two thousand twenty-three, we can assume. Because this orderly's listened that there'll be a shooting. Now, the orderly needs to take his story to the head of the hospital and to law enforcement and try and persuade them that a school shooting will take place at a school on a street called Second Street on September 3rd, 2023. It is at this moment that the head of psychiatric hospital informs the orderly that the patient was herself a survivor of a 1999 school shooting when she was 17 years old. Oh, shit. Which is a direct reference to the Columbine school shooting. <coughs> Sorry. Like, history's doomed to repeat itself. If no action's taken with the school shootings, they're just going to keep happening, aren't they? So it's kind of like a little politicised subtext, I suppose. She's now 42. He's 20, she's 42. He's an orderly. She's a patient in a psychiatric hospital. She's been saying school dates as dates from when school shootings happened because it's scarred her for life. It's affected her. Fuck. And now she's started to say a new date. And he's, told, he's brought it to their attention, obviously. Now it's a race against the clock. It's a race against the system. Can he persuade people to believe him in time to get the resources to find the street where it might happen? Dun, dun, dun. That is obviously there's lots of films like the the, the knowing and stuff where yeah. there's predictions of shit yeah. go about to go down. But this is unique to school shootings and a victim of a school shooting who's just saying a date and a time. Is it even real? Does it ever happen? Well, I guess that's that's the question. Yeah. They they could. Uh, 
because she's been in this psychiatric ward for what 20 years you said about 20 years yeah 20 years give or take so she's probably been there so people have sort of learned that the psychosis and she's sort of gone a bit a bit well you mad. just you put her in the corner and go oh, she's been doing that ever since ever since she uh, went through the ordeal she's got obviously severe case post-traumatic stress yeah no one takes her seriously and the orderly being his student himself maybe has a little mild fascination into school shooting starts to hear her, them dates and places like they're school shootings and then one day when he's I don't know, doing her bed or something. He hears her saying a new date and that's when it's like goosebump moment. Yeah. That I like that a lot. Hmm. I do. Is that a psychological thriller? Yeah, what without a doubt. Boosh. Without a doubt. And it's hard to look past David Fincher to do a film oh, like this. Yes. Isn't it? Because this just he's bread and butter, isn't it? Oh mate. So I really like that. I love the idea that you've got a orderly there that a lot of the other stuff sort of just they've so she's become part of the furniture almost Ooh. so it's just part part and parcel of dealing with her as a patient she's just shouting stuff mm. but this could be a young and sort of uh because he's new in the game he's more he's keen he, he wants to impress mm. he, he's got a it's to supplement his education yeah he's got a fresher perspective and he starts taking notice and maybe he's they sort of know her backstory that she's a survivor mm. never put together the pieces of the dates and stuff that she's saying maybe he connects those dots mm. and then it's about him trying to convince the world that she's starting to say something that isn't happening yet so she's mm. getting having like a peek into the future which no one would believe yeah that is that is a hundy p sort of film that i would watch within an instant it was fault with you in mind that's got and there would have to be some sort of twist or something that i didn't see coming at the end or or something that mm. I, I don't know maybe she who's had this vision has i don't know has a part to play in planning a, a mass murder and and she's in on it somehow somewhere oh. but there'd have to be a dirty little Dinklage in there somewhere to just make it a bit dark, a bit more David Fincher. Dirty little Dinklage. Yeah, like a little, not as in like Peter Dinklage, but just as in like a little detour. Shit. Not because it's a little oh, detour, but okay. I shouldn't have said Dinklage. Yeah, but it's there now, so it's staying. And um, partly because I've seen them both in films recently and just dug what they've been supplying. Harris Dickinson as oh. the orderly, young strapping lad from triangle of sadness and the kingsman and he's got a big future ahead of him and i think he would in triangle of sadness he plays this sort of delusional um entitled male model male model i'd love to see him in a more sort of innocent role mm, less comical yeah a heartfelt emotional role where he's trying to do good because i think he's got that in him i think he could be like a real he's going to be a big star and easily play a 20 something and as the patient so he would play maurice atler great mm. name by the way and playing the patient within this psychiatric board elizabeth lasry where i'd see natalie portman boom 42 yeah around about the right age yeah. she's not other than Black Swan, I haven't seen Extinction. her really play a lot. Uh, Annihilation. Annihilation, sorry. I haven't seen her really play like a really troubled person. I think she would excel at that. So I'd have her as the patient. I could see her wiping shit on a wall. Yeah. Mm. Okay. And she would do this while no, screaming the dates? Would, no, Elizabeth Lazary is not, not, that, not that far gone. She is a date shouter, not a shit spreader. Oh, yeah. Aptly put, sir. Yeah. So Harris Dickinson as your orderly Maurice Atler, Natalie Portman as your patient Elizabeth Lazary, directed by David Fincher in a straight-up psychological thriller, and I'd call the film Foresight. 
Dickinson Drive, 121412, Pine Island Road, 021418, West Campus Drive, 01607, Dickinson Drive, 021412, Pine Island Road, 021417, 2nd Street, 09032317. Listen to what she's actually saying. It means something. It's not just random. Listen to the words. It's gonna happen. It will happen again. 